0: Luke chapter 1, and uh, it's uh, a week before Christmas, and uh, we are getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And uh, the reason that Christians celebrate Christmas the way that we do, and the reason that we give gifts to one another, is because we are celebrating the fact that God gave the greatest gift to you and I. So, in like fashion, we participate in giving of gifts. And at our house, as you know, we have 12 kids. We have 11 kids at home, and so Christmas is a really big thing. This is the the final week, and uh, I can tell you that at our house, as catalogs come into the mail this week, children are looking at things, saying, "Dad, do you, do you think we could get this?" And I'm I'm like, you know, you know, it's the last week. I don't think Santa wants to go to Walmart this week, and so <laughs> Christmas is is done. And you know, um, you know, as as believers, as we look around the world, I, I, I notice two things. I notice two things. First of all, I, I notice that there's a whole lot of talk about the holiday season, but there's very little talk about Jesus. And even when you see the Christmas lights up, the, you know, Jesus, if he, if he gets anything, He gets sort of an honorable mention, kind of a nod, but you get the sense that He's not the main event. So I don't ever want us to lose the sight of the fact that Jesus is the main event. Another thing that I notice is, is uh, you know just as i look at the world around and i read the the connection cards each week and the prayer requests i know that that christmas is supposed to be a time uh, a great joyous celebration certainly rightfully so but for many people it's a time of real difficulty and uh, and and so i thought that be, because of all of that that we would look at the christmas story today and see if maybe there's something that god would want to say to us. And it also, as I was looking at this this week, I realized we have not told the Christmas story the week before Christmas in, in four years. So for some, it'll be by way of reminder, and uh, for some, this might be brand new. But I wanted to, to look at it from uh, maybe a perspective that many times we, we don't look at it from. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Luke 21, or Luke 1, verse 26. You want to have your pen ready as uh, we travel through. This is going to be a whirlwind study today. So it says in verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And you want to underline Nazareth, that'll be important. And uh, the sixth month, we're going to find out, just the sixth month there's a woman named Elizabeth who is, who is pregnant and uh, she'll, she'll be important for our study in a few moments. So, And, and then it says in verse 27 to a virgin engaged, and underline those two words to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So hopefully you've underlined the word virgin two times and that'll be important for our study. So as our story begins, part of this, we tend to think of the Bible, we tend to think in terms of our very, very Western mindset, but Mary is probably somewhere between 14 to 16 years of age at this point. Some suggest she could be as young as 12, 12 to 14, but we'll say 14 to 16, but she could be as young as, as young as 12. In those days in the Middle East, there was no dating. All marriages were arranged. And so it would be very common for a girl to be married or to be engaged by the age of five. Two families would find that they really got along well together. They'd say, you know, we have a daughter, you have a son. Why don't we arrange this marriage? And that would strengthen the bond between our two marriages. So they would know who they were going to marry, again, from about the age of five. And they would then grow up in the same community, typically. And then a year before they actually consummated the, the marriage they would be what we would call legally married even though they didn't come together yet. So it would take literally a certificate of divorce to end the engagement at this point. So it's at this time in that final year of their engagement that the angel shows up to, and uh, reveals himself to Mary. Well, verse 28 it says, and coming in he said to her, greetings. Now some of your Bibles say rejoice. How many of your Bibles say rejoice? Good, you want to underline that. I like the word rejoice there a little bit better. But rejoice, then it says favored one, or however your Bible says it, and you want to underline that. The Lord is with you. You want to underline that. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was, which I've always wondered. She's not perplexed that an angel has just shown up, but the things that he says. I would um, be, well, you know. Anyways, so I put verse 28 there on your outline because some of our More modern translations leave out a very important phrase in the verse. And uh, so there in your outline, it says, having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And I want you to underline, blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. So that'll be important for our study. Verse 30, it goes on and it says, for the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Go ahead and underline that, favor with God. And behold you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. And uh, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's not doubting that it's going to take place but she knows her situation. Well, How is this going to take place? Now uh, three times so far, hopefully you've underlined the word virgin. This was to fulfill a prophecy that was 700 years old. And, uh, we started that in verse 27. The virgin's name shall be called Mary. And, you know, just came to a virgin. And, and, uh, there is a prophecy in Isaiah, which was written 700 years before this took place. And I put that there in your outline. And here's what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This will be the sign. Behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Well what does Emmanuel mean? Well Emmanuel is a compound word in the original language. Uh, it just means with us is God or God with us. The word M there means with and L means God. So literally this child that would be born of a virgin wouldn't be just a teacher or a prophet. He would be God with us. That's who that's who he would be. So at this point As all of this is taking place, the part that we don't think about, you know, the angel has appeared to Mary and he tells Mary to rejoice. He tells her that she's highly favored, that God is with her, and that she's blessed among women. So uh, that sounds pretty good. I mean, if I was Mary, I'd begin to think that things are really beginning to come together in my life. So what does it mean to be highly favored of God, blessed of God? And I want to just point out a few things that we often miss. First of all, and you want to write this down, Mary's blessing is going to involve an unplanned pregnancy. Write that down. She's 14 to 16 years of age, and uh, she's not really planning for a baby, but she's planning for a wedding. So that's the first thing that we notice. Now you and I looking on at this, we might say it's bad timing. Go ahead and write that down. It's bad timing. You know, it's from God, but we would say, but Mary, you have your whole life ahead of you, you know, to be thinking about a baby. I mean, she could be twelve years old, but we'd say fourteen to sixteen. And we're gonna find out in a few moments that she wouldn't be economically prepared for this child. Also, one of the aspects that we forget about this this blessing is that what this is going to mean in Mary's life, and you wanna write this down, it's going to mean a ruined reputation. A ruined reputation. Not everyone in her world is going to buy into what we would call the immaculate conception story. So, uh, you know, dads, think about this: If uh, your fourteen-year-old daughter comes home from the mall and she says, "Dad, guess what? I'm pregnant," but but uh, don't worry, the father is God. You probably would have a hard time accepting that. Well, one of the things that we find is that in Mary's life, the people in her community and the surrounding area, they did not embrace the Immaculate Conception story. As a matter of fact, 30 years later, three decades later, Jesus is in a debate with some religious leaders and they know just where to insult him. There on your outline, Jesus says to them, he says, you're doing the things that your own father does. But notice the insult. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. See, there was a rumor that went around about Mary that she had hooked up with a Roman soldier. And uh, so most people did not embrace that this was something that the Lord was doing. And so this was a ruined reputation that followed her literally for decades. Well, not only that, it's not just that the, the people would reject her, but one of the things that we find is that she would also suffer rejection from her the family. Go ahead and write that down. Later on, we're going to find that Joseph will believe the story, but um, much of the family does not believe the story until many, many, many years later. As a matter of fact, there's one day in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has grown up, and in John chapter 7, it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, that's always interesting to me because they are part of the family. And so, if you believe that, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Then you also, or if you believe that, if you believe that, you also have to believe that there's something very unique about him, and so they don't believe that there's anything unique about him. So uh, obviously, we would conclude that they didn't believe the immaculate conception story. So hopefully, I didn't confuse you on that one. But but the rest of the family didn't jump on board and believe the story either. So in this, Mary is is told that she's to rejoice. God's with you. Uh, You're blessed of God. You know, you're favored among women. And uh, we would look on and we'd say, but it, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's bad timing, it's, it's, um, it's a ruined reputation, it's rejection from the family. But there's also one other thing that we would say, because this is the Middle East 2,000 years ago before everybody had the reputation for getting along and being so friendly. So <laughs> one of the things uh, that we're also going to find is that this would represent a significant health threat to the mother, and you want to write that down. Uh, there on your outline in their their scriptures, we would call it the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, it says, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, and the adulterer and the adulteress shall, shall surely be put to death. And uh, so they aren't sure who the dad is, but they all think that something's gone on. And in that culture, to be pregnant outside of marriage wasn't just an embarrassment to the family, it was something that would be punishable by death. But Mary, as you know, is, is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's also, and I want you to write this down, she's going to be highly favored, but financially challenged. We would think that if God's blessing you, that would mean that he would be blessing you materially. And so what we find is in Luke chapter 2, I I've put it there in your outline, after Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord to offer a sacrifice and then you notice it says a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now why is that significant? Well in the Old Testament it says that when you have a baby you had to take the baby to the temple and you had to offer a sacrifice. But notice what it says. The next, I put that there from Leviticus. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. So here's what this means. You know, if you have a a lamb, you have a child. The sacrifice might cost a hundred bucks, but if you don't have the money for that, you could you could sacrifice doves or pigeons, which would just be literally a couple of pennies. The reason that she sacrifices that is because her blessing did not amount to a financial blessing. So God's doing something else in her life. Does that make sense so far? So. Um, So then it goes on. And let me, let me, can I just stop and say, if you're here today and you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, a ruined reputation, uh, a time of difficulty, and you're here today, I want you to know you found a great church to be part of because you will be loved, you will be cared for. And uh, we, 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 we just, we think that babies are awesome. However, God gets them here, he gets them here. So, all right, well, let's, let's continue on. So We'll pick it up again in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So it's important to note that this is not something that happens physically, something that takes place uh, through the Holy Spirit. And behold, verse 36, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who has been called barren is now in her sixth month. Her cousin Elizabeth uh, gets pregnant in her old age, way beyond childbearing years, and she is pregnant with somebody that we would know as John the Baptist. So that'll be important for a study. Verse 37, for nothing shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And the one thing I want you to walk away in here is this is the last thing that God ever says to Mary in the Bible. Last thing that she ever hears from the Lord. That'll be important for our study verse 39, it says, at this time, uh, if you have a study Bible in the margins, it will say in those days, Uh, my Bible says, now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry. And I want you to underline in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth and greeted Elizabeth. Now, uh, that's important. Uh, Mary's body is beginning to show, and she realizes that it's very dangerous for her to stay in her local community. And so she realizes that God is doing something very significant in her cousin Elizabeth's life, and so Elizabeth might be the only person that would understand what God is doing, and so that would be a safe place to go to. And that's why it says she went in a hurry you in in a hurry. Now, there's much, much more that we could talk about. I want you to skip down to chapter two. We'll pick it up in chapter two. And I'm, I'm going to read in verse one, verses one and two. It says, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Sirius. So Caesar wakes up one morning. He says, I want to... Uh, to, I want to tax everybody, but to do that, I want to have a census. And so I'm just going to have everybody go back to their town of origin. And you and I would look on and we'd say, interesting timing, interesting timing. And that'll be important for our study. Verse three, it says, And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. You want to underline that? because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was, and most of your Bibles will say engaged, and you want to underline that, to him and was with child. Engaged means that they had not come together in a physical sense at that point. So nine months have gone by, and uh, everyone has to go back to their city of origin, where your ancestors came from. Joseph has to go to Bethlehem, and Mary is nine months pregnant. So if you've ever seen the terrain there in uh, Israel, it's very, very hilly. So Mary gets to go on a 90-mile walk in her ninth month of pregnancy. <laughs> Ladies, you think she's feeling blessed at this point? That's where you say, no, like you mean it, right? So uh, yeah, uh, so, so a 90-mile walk. Now it's also important to to know that that Bethlehem is a village, it's a small village. It's somewhere between three and five acres in size. So it's nothing like what the movies would tell you, it's only about three to five acres. Some of you have larger yards than uh, Bethlehem was. But God has to get Mary from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. And uh, there's a reason for that, and the reason is that because 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophecy, and here's what the prophecy said from, uh, Micah's, from uh, Micah. It said, "But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, I won't try to pronounce that, though you are little, about three to five acres, among the thousands of Judah, all those little villages. Yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old. How old? From everlasting." So he must be born in Bethlehem, although he's existed through all eternity. So God says, Mary, you're blessed, you're favored, you know, you rejoice in this. Uh, I know it means an unplanned pregnancy, your reputation is ruined, and, and not everybody's going to understand what God is doing in your life right now. But on top of that, I have to get you all the way to Bethlehem. Again, it's a 90-mile walk over the terrain. And you can just imagine God saying something like, and if this is difficult maybe we can find a donkey for you to ride on for a while. And uh, you ladies would be thinking, well that's just as difficult. So the, the point that I would want to make is that at this point Mary might not be feeling all that blessed by God at this point. You'd agree with that, right? And so God realizes that Mary might not be willing to go so Caesar has this thought that he thinks is original and he decides to tax everybody and the thought is to get everybody back to their town of origin. So she has to go with Joseph. And you know, when Caesar says you go, it's like you go you know, or you die. So she, she has to go. That's, that's her options. And so I, I want you to write this down. One of the things that we learn about God is that many times God works supernaturally through natural ways. He's organizing things beyond what we can see. So God here is, is working behind the scenes. And, and yes, Mary is probably not feeling all that blessed at this time. She's probably asking, why do I have to go through all of this? Well, here Mary, God has placed Mary in a situation that is beyond her control. She can't fix this situation. And all of that is, to, is designed to get Mary to just the right place that God has for her. I have in my notes that sometimes God uses difficult circumstances to get us exactly where he wants us to accomplish his purpose. Have you ever experienced that? Amen. If you walk with the Lord long enough, you'll experience that. So it's also important to say that, that we have the same promises that God gives to Mary. You know, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer and you're part of his family, you're blessed, you're favored. And, uh, and, and that doesn't mean that everything is always perfect all the time. And so maybe in your situation, although you are blessed and you're favored, it might not feel like it right now. Well, verses six and seven, it says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. You might want to underline that. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Underline that. Laid him in a manger because there was no room at the inn. Now, uh, if if you come from our perspective, when it says firstborn, it would imply that there would be more children to follow. And, and so not everybody holds that, but but that would be our perspective. And it says that there was no room at the inn. Uh, Bethlehem is three to five acres if you went to a large town like Jerusalem, they would have what you and I would call a rudimentary concept of an inn. But in Bethlehem, this tiny little village out in the middle of nowhere, they didn't really have tourism. And so what's taking place here is the inn would be literally a barn. It's four walls and there'd be one door. And it wasn't really for people. It was for if you were a shepherd and you're out in the field and you've been staying awake most nights and you say, I just need a good night's sleep, you would walk into the local village and go to the inn and uh, you would put your sheep in the barn there, which, which we would call an inn. It just means a, a, a place to stay. And then you as a shepherd you would lay in the door and you would sleep there and your sheep would be safe. And there, many times there would be several shepherds and several flocks inside of there. And so that's filled that night, so they have to go find the next best place. So it's not the picture that you see in the movies where there's this well-lit inn and everybody has you know, a, you know a drink and they're all singing songs. That's, they didn't have that in tiny little villages out in the middle of nowhere. So um, I want you to underline it. it. says that she gave birth to her firstborn and she wrapped. She wrapped. Now that's important. It's a nuance that the Holy Spirit included in there so that we'd see something Typically, in every village, there was one or more midwives. And so when you went into labor, they called the midwife and she would come and she would stay with you. She would then help you deliver, clean the baby, and then she would wrap the baby up for you, kind of like putting on the diaper, but they use claws in that to wrap up and to bundle the baby. Well, in this time, everybody is at their home of origin. People are in town. Nobody, you know, you you don't really know anybody. So they don't even know how to find the midwife. And that's put there so that we would understand that Mary is the one who had to give birth alone, not only just give birth alone, but then she had to clean Jesus and then she had to wrap him, which, and just to let us know that that she was alone in that. But then it also says in verse 7 that she laid him in a manger. Now, it's also important to say that Jesus was not born in a major. It always says that he was laid in a major. Does your, does your Bible say something like in, laid or laying in a major? Manger. M- manger. Um, so uh, that's important because when we think of a manger, uh, we tend to think of a stall. But but a manger is actually just a feeding trough. If you have a study Bible where it says manger, there'll be a little number next to that, and it'll point you out to the column, and it will say a feeding trough. Uh, there in your outline, a manger, there in your outline from Strong's means to eat a crib for fodder, manger, or or you know l- largely a stall. But he was laid in a feeding trough as, as a crib. That'll be important for our study you and I might say that's a lousy place for a baby, but it's a great place for a lamb. Wouldn't you agree? It's interesting that Jesus would be called the Lamb of God. Well, Mary's blessing so far is to walk 90 miles in the ninth month of pregnancy to give birth alone and uh, we might say that it's, it's just, you know, it's way too much. And I, and I think to add to that once again to say that it's not recorded that Mary ever hears from God again. So imagine all of that, your family's kind of rejected you, people around you are starting rumors, and uh, now you've had to walk 90 miles, you've had to give birth alone, you've had to do all of that. You, you, you might be feeling a little bit despairing after all of that. Would you ladies agree with that? Yeah. Some of you are like, yes. Yeah. Like, no, I don't know. Yes, you would. It would be a very very, very difficult time. What we notice about God is that God has a way of showing up in our most difficult times. So, so as we, we continue on in verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their, flocks by night, their flock by night. Now I want you to underline their flock by night. They're out in the field, they're keeping watch over their flock by night and all that tells us is one thing and one thing only. Jesus was not born in December. Uh, Today when you go home, you want to go on your computer and your search engine and you want to type in Israel snow pictures. And what you find is that in the wintertime it snows, they have snowstorms in Israel. How many of you never heard that before? Yeah, there are snowstorms in Israel. Remember in Matthew 24 he says pray that your plight be not in winter. And the reason he says that is sometimes the snowstorms are so bad in Israel and Jerusalem specifically is completely impassable. Go check that out today. You'll be surprised what you find. We all tend to think of Israel as kind of like this desert. and uh, So check that out today. Well, verse 10 What we're, uh, v- v- verse 9 And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. And I've underlined all the people in my Bible. And uh, what that means is that what God is doing here is not just for a small group of people, not for one nation. God's doing something that's going to impact all people, all people, for the whole world. Verse 11, he says, For today in the city of David there has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I want you to underline the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Today, when you go out to lunch or you sit down, wherever you eat, you're going to pray and you're going to say, Lord, I'm asking you to bless this. When you say, Lord, you are speaking to God. What the angel has told them is that he is Christ who is also God. And that's important. All Christians believe that Jesus is God, everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. And that's the dividing line, never forget that. He says, verse 12, he says, this will be a sign, I love this, a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. And again in my Bible, there's a study Bible on the side that says feeding trough. And um, it's a sign because you don't typically find babies lying in feeding troughs. That's the sign. Uh, You would find a baby in a house, you'd find a baby uh, somewhere else, but not in a feeding trough. So just go find the one baby in the feeding trough, that's him, is is the idea. That's the sign. Verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying. How many of your Bibles say saying? Good, you want to underline that word saying? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, as I read that, most of your Bibles uh, translate that one phrase very, very differently. And it's one of those times in in, uh, the original language where it's a very, very difficult phrase to translate. And so there's a lot of debate over how that should be translated. Uh, Most would say that that the the gist is more God is pleased with those who are pleasing to him. But it's one of those things that's very awkward to to translate. So it's translated differently in every Bible. But one of the things that that I love, if you're like me, and I grew up and it says, verse 13, suddenly there appeared an angel, a multitude of, uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, every time I've ever seen this, whenever it's acted out, they're always singing but here it says that they're saying. Not that that changes your theology, but it's just interesting because you, know, you always thought they were singing. Well, no, they were, they were saying. And it's a very specific word. Not, not that that changes your life. Did you find that at least interesting? Okay, good. All right, well, verse 15. Now, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. We'd say feeding trough. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And I love this, verse 19, and I've underlined it in my Bible, and Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, she hasn't heard from God in a long time. It's been a very, very difficult journey. And it's not that an angel has shown up to speak to them, but God has revealed to someone else, and they have come telling the story. Once again, confirming to Mary, yes, it's difficult, but God is really with me. Verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. So, you know as as we've been saying mary is favored of god and yet she's had to walk through some very very difficult circumstances those difficult circumstances were not an indication that she was out of god's will those circumstances were simply getting her to the right place that she needed to be and God was doing something the whole time. And and what we learn in this is that many times God uses the most difficult of circumstances to do His deepest work inside of us, or at times to get us to just the right place that we need to be. So I I wanted to to wrap this up with, um, with just making some observations, some very, very quick observations. First of all, as we read this and you want to write this down, and maybe, maybe this, this can be applied to the circumstances in your life, May, maybe this is taking place. But what we see in this story, first of all, we see that God is up to something bigger than Mary's current circumstances. There's something that's going on way beyond. And we saw that in verse 10, the angel says, this shall be for all the people. What what God is doing here, your personal circumstances are very difficult at this point, but God's doing something that's literally going to change the world. And it makes me look at the circumstances that I face uh, a little bit differently. Maybe God's up to something bigger than what I can see. I also notice in this, and this is very different than our Western way of thinking about God, but uh, God doesn't immediately change the circumstances, but He sends comfort in the circumstances. You know, When the shepherds go back to their flock, Mary still has to spend the night next to the manger. Her circumstances don't change. God didn't change the circumstances. He sent somebody alongside to give her some comfort in the circumstances. Much of what we think about today is that God immediately changes the circumstance, but that's not the case here. Now, it's also important to say that God is going to change their circumstance, but it doesn't happen immediately. I also notice that in this time, Mary makes three decisions, three decisions. And um, maybe this is for some of us here. If it is, great. And uh, if not, that's okay too. But the first decision that Mary made that we saw is she chose to leave unbelieving believers. And you want to write that down. The, the people in her community never really embraced that what was taking place inside of her was really from God. And so they started rumors about her. Uh, they obviously would have ostracized her and so she made the best decision to leave the unbelieving believers. They believed in God and although they believed in God and loved the Word of God they couldn't wrap their minds around that God was actually doing something in Mary's life. And so she had to make a decision to leave those relationships. And sometimes there's a relationship that we have to let go of. We have to let go of that. And, and many times it's an unbelieving believer. But then we, we notice that Mary doesn't just leave. She did not just run away. But go ahead and write this down. She seeks out an environment that encouraged her faith. She made the decision to seek out an environment that encouraged her faith. She realized that Elizabeth, her cousin who way past childbearing age is pregnant with a guy that you and I would know as John the Baptist. She understands that Elizabeth may be the one person on the planet that would understand that what's going on in her life is really from the Lord. And so she made the decision to seek out that relationship. I would encourage you as as you go forward, if the Lord is doing something unique in your life you want to get into a group Uh, A community, a fellowship, an association with people who can understand what it is that you're going through, what it is that the Lord is doing in your life. Mary chose to seek that out actively. Another thing that I noticed is that Mary chose to wait for God to reveal his plan to others. Early in our story, God speaks to Mary, and uh, we notice that God doesn't speak to the rest of the community, so they draw their own conclusions but there's somebody else in our story that God doesn't speak to right away. As a matter of fact, it's, it's probably not for another six months that God will speak to this person. And uh, this person doesn't get it early on. And you know who it is? It's Joseph. It's Joseph. Uh, there on your outline it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, the son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Mary hasn't been unfaithful. Joseph, um, nowhere is it recorded that Mary runs and tells Joseph. Most Bible scholars agree that the way that Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant is Mary begins to show and he realizes something's up. And he loves her, but you, you just don't marry a woman who's been unfaithful even before you, you guys come together. And so he decides to put her away quietly, and that's when the Lord shows up and reveals to him. But she waited for the Lord to reveal that to him. She didn't rush out and try to convince him of what God is doing. Sometimes there's a period of time between what God is doing in your life and the time that he he reveals it to other people, that can be a very very frustrating time. Mary chose to wait and allowed God to reveal when He was ready to reveal. So, as we wrap this up, and I and I look at Mary's situation and maybe the the situations that you and I are facing in every story in the Bible, in, in uh, your story and in my story, there, there's one question that God is always asking, always asking. And uh, every story that you find in the Bible comes down to one question. And here's the question. Go ahead and write this down. God's big question for Mary and for us in our situation, God simply asks, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And it's in this time where Mary has to trust, even though it means that not everybody's going to understand, not everybody's going to accept. Uh, There's going to be some people who say some pretty mean things about her. It's going to mean a very, very long journey. And the question is, will you trust me? I wonder right now if maybe you're facing a situation and at a certain point you really sense the Lord saying, this is what I'm doing in your life. But right now, it doesn't feel like he's doing that. His question to you is very simply, will you trust me? Will you trust me? I think the greatest gift that you can give to God this Christmas season is the decision to say, I will trust you in this situation. Now, if you're a believer already, it's a situation. It's with your life. Will you trust me? If you've never come to that place, then it's a decision to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. With my life and my eternity. And the way that you do that is you invite Jesus to step into your life. He has promised that he's already brought forgiveness. He wants restoration in the relationship. He wants to be with you for all of eternity. The very reason that he created you in the first place is because he wanted to have a relationship with you. And your choice is to say, I want that relationship or I don't when you say, I want that relationship, he steps in. And when he steps in, he begins to work and change and organize all of the circumstances and situations in your life. They're not always pleasant. They're not always easy. But he's always working to accomplish his purpose. And if you've never done that, then today is your opportunity. I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, you can invite Jesus to come into your life to forgive you everything which he's already done, and to begin that relationship. When we close, there'll be some prayer partners down in the front. They'd love to pray with you and solidify that decision. Let's pray. Father, in, in this Christmas season, as we, as, we, um, as we face this week, and we, all the hustle and bustle and all the activity and the expectations and all that goes with it, we want to stop for a moment and realize once again that you chose us. You invited us into this relationship with you. And for those of us who have at some point in our life committed ourselves to that relationship, Lord, once again we come back to the place where we say we don't understand everything that we see or everything that's going on, but we understand that you are always present, you're always working behind the scenes to accomplish your purpose, and we belong to you. And so in this Christmas season, we choose once again, maybe to reconfirm our decision, that we trust you in our lives, for our lives, and with our lives. Father, for those of us who are here today, and uh, we've never invited you to come into our life, we've never accepted your free gift, and yet, Lord, you created us for the very purpose that you wanted to have a relationship with us. So we look to you and we say, Father, we don't understand. I don't fully understand all of what this means, but I want that relationship. And so I'm inviting you to step into my life, forgive me of everything I've ever done, and begin to move in my life, even though sometimes it won't be easy, but it'll always be you working out your good plan to bring me to just the right place that I need to be. And if you prayed that today and you invited him in, he promises to step in and to never leave. and solidify that today before you leave by making your way and praying with one of the prayer partners down in the front after we close. Father, I pray that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.